This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is North, 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 South. North South. Hey everybody, Tim Cavalcami here for the second episode of North and South, the podcast that is sweeping the nation or snoozing the nation or whatever we're doing we're gonna keep doing it we have the los angeles times dylan hernandez now my official co-host how how this is a peak in your career dylan and this is amazing you 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 reached this far to become the co-host for north and south do you you feel happy about that i you know i actually have because um there's a friend of mine that worked with me at the daily bruin at ucla who didn't go into journalism. He became like a spammer of all things. <laughs> and he recently, like a, a year or two ago, he started this like TikTok account, right? Where they, he features different things in LA and stuff. And now he's like kind of big, man. He's like on Access Hollywood like every other week. Wow. And so, yeah, I feel like I kind of got leapfrogged by him because he was <laughs> jumping into the social, you know, multimedia realm. So I feel I'm kind of balancing the skills here. So thank you very much for this opportunity. I think there might be other bigger people at UCLA, though, from that era. I don't know. What era are we talking about again, Dylan? I'm trying. I can't even uh, guess. See, I was there from 98 to 02. You know who the most famous person that come at, who came out of the Daily Bruin was at that time? I do not. Ben Shapiro. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a thought. <laughs> what a you know, the funny thing, too, is uh, our, our, our good friend, uh, Diamond Leung. Yeah. Uh, they, they actually fired Ben Shapiro, I believe, at some point. The Daily Bruin did. Part, the Daily Bruin did. And the one guy who evidently stuck up for him was our, our buddy. This is, this is great stuff. Wow. Where were you on this, Dylan? What, which side of the... I was already at the Mercury News at this point. Okay. Oh, you're just hearing but, about it. So, but I did, uh, yeah, because I'm two years older than Diamond. So what was so. Ben Shapiro doing to get kicked off? He was a, uh, he, he worked for the op-ed section. So he was kind of getting started. I never thought that that would have been the... You know, obviously at that age, I was a little bit, you know, I, I I felt pretty good about myself and thought, well, of course, I'm going to be the star that comes out of this place. Who would have thought, huh? Like, that guy's a, that guy's a millionaire. No, I should have just got into the uh, hate mongering business. Your t- time, you're young still, Dylan. You still can do it. You, you've got some hate in you, too. So <laughs> not the same as Ben Shapiro's hate, though. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I feel like I should talk with the Northwestern with a bunch of interesting people, too. But we'll save that for another podcast. Good <laughs> Lord. Wow. Diamond Leung was, was like the Trump card you threw me. You threw that one on me. I know Diamond real well, friend of mine. Uh, covered the Warriors. for Man, you're throwing all this stuff at me from the glory UCLA days. Although they did not win any national championships during that period. Uh, I haven't no. won a national championship for quite some time. The one I covered, 95, would be the last one. All right. Let's talk... Bay Area, L.A., the the 
bread and butter of North and South, which we've become famous for, not as famous as your classmates, but still famous for. Uh, I was at the 49ers Thanksgiving. That, that's how I spent my Thanksgiving. Dylan, I'm sure yours was a lot quieter and more family-oriented. I was in Seattle watching a football game. I've been a Brock Purdy guy. I thought he didn't play a great game, but through one of the most amazing passes I've seen live, uh, one of the most, you know, certainly, you know, wasn't for a Super Bowl, wasn't for anything other than a really big regular season game, but that throw drifting to his left, turning back right, throwing it to Ayuk for touchdown in that place after throwing a pick six, not, not long before just add, I'm, you know, I kind of wrote just about that throw, but you just added to what he's done. Uh, the games he's won already. We'll see how it goes in the playoffs this season. I just think he's one of the top six, seven quarterbacks in the league right now. You know, you, you go Mahomes, Lamar, um, God, maybe Josh Allen, Burrow, who's hurt. And I'm not sure. And I think Herbert is right. The line I'm starting to get to, Justin Herbert, obviously great stats. You look at him, throw the ball, fantastic. He just does not win these football games at the end. Not all his fault. Dylan, I just watched that game, and I was kind of thinking, and I know I'm not putting Purdy ahead of Herbert, but I'm thinking, God, does does Purdy win that game yesterday? Does he beat, you know, the Ravens? Uh, Maybe he does. I don't know. What, what, What are you thinking about this? Yeah, and I think I touched on this a little bit last week, right? It's that I think that because of the whole kind of Charger, mis- you know, the bad mystique around the Chargers, uh, Herbert's kind of gotten a bit of a pass, right? He's he's Mike Trout on the Angels, you know. Good it's call, like, good oh, call. Guy, wow, that's you know? good, that's good. Yeah. Um, but you kind of look at this and, yeah, he, you know, Herbert makes that throw like in the second quarter, yep. right? Where, you know, you go through Herbert's career and over the years you've just seen him do some things where it's like, oh, my God, like how'd this guy do that? Um, you know, and just kind of watching Purdy from afar, what is kind of interesting, like you said, right, is he throws a horrendous pass, followed by that pass kind of when he had to make it, you know, and you could talk about, you know, one thing that has been, I think, consistent with the Chargers is they haven't been able to really protect Herbert, especially kind of end of game type situations. Uh, you know, that said, there was that, right, there, he had a guy open at the back of the end zone at some point and just, just missed him, you know, and I have started to kind of wander over time you know and maybe it's you know with with quarterbacks sometimes right a guy gets hit too much all of a sudden he gets a little jumpy back there i mean right has 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 just kind of years of this just kind of conditioned him to kind of miss these things i'm not really too sure but to me yeah there is this kind of uh you know as i sit here kind of herbert does feel like he's at a crossroads of some point that's of some sorts right in terms of you know, is he going to be a guy that's just going to kind of put up great numbers and, and kind of like look great and you're going to be amazed at certain things that he does? Or can he actually turn those into victories? Because, you know, uh, right. I mean, all the you know, I think this, that's been out there, right. Five of their games have been decided by three or fewer points. And somehow they always end up on the losing end of that. Um, you know, you could argue that that's bad luck and this or that. But, but at some point, you know, I think the quarterback kind of has to make. Um, those plays. And I think in every game this year, they've, you know, they've either been ahead or within a score uh, in the fourth quarter. Right. So it's not like he hasn't had chances to kind of bring him back. And, you know, sometimes he has to right, maybe even the score or something, but when it comes time to actually kind of win that game, he doesn't seem to kind of have that thing that Purdy does, you know, and I guess like my question to you, you know, is um, right. Uh, a couple of years ago, you know, when the, when the Rams won the Super Bowl, kind of on that journey there, uh, you know, one thing that was kind of made a big deal about now, we forget about it, right, because they won, but with the number of interceptions Matthew Stafford threw. And it kind of seemed to be part of the package, right, is that 
And you get Matthew Stafford back there. He's going to drop back and he's going to try to make these ridiculous throws. And you know what? Some of them are going to get completed and they might win you a game. And other times it's going to kind of come back and hurt you. And I think that even as the playoffs were going, right, they were going through the playoffs that year, that was kind of this big question. Was Herbert going to hurt them or was he in the end going to win them a Super Bowl? And, you know, obviously he won them the Super Bowl. So that question's kind of gone in some ways. I guess I'm wondering with you, right, just kind of looking at it from out here, which side does Purdy kind of fall on? Is he right through those mistakes? Uh, will they come back to cost the Niners or is he the type of guy that in the end is you think going to pull out those games more than not? Yeah, we're going to have to see, obviously, going into playoffs. But I don't. He hasn't. He doesn't make that many mistakes. Like he's he's pretty low. I think six interceptions this season. You know, four of them were you know two interceptions and a loss, two interceptions and a loss. It kind of all was grouped together. Uh, he, I think he went the first six games out throwing interception. Uh, maybe the first five and then five and zero. Oh, but um, we'll have to see. Obviously, a big mistake on Thursday comes back, but that's what I've noticed was like, there was nobody like, I didn't even think like, Oh my God, he's gonna have to rally from this. Like he, of course he's, he's not like where you see kind of a spiral for some other quarterbacks, maybe not Herbert, but some others like, Oh my God, it's going to be a mistake, the mistake, the mistake and the game over. You don't feel that with Purdy, obviously young in his career. Uh, and that throw after two series later, but it was when they had to, the defense really stood up for them. Uh, in that moment where like they could not give up another score and they didn't or give up a field goal. I think, uh, I think he's got some stuff in him, whatever that measurable, it's a Jalen hurts measurable. Like Jalen hurts cannot look great yesterday. And then at the end, he's got the ball. In his hand. He's going to figure out a way to win this game. I mean, Josh Allen is sort of like Herbert esque. Like he's going to find a way to lose the game. Not all his fault. He's just not going to rise above. And, you know, I've said this, like, the analytics guys hate quarterback wins as a stat. They hate it. They hate it. They just, you know, get a rash when and they start screaming when they see it. Freaking Jalen Hurts sometimes defines it to me. And Purdy to, is feeling that way. That's why it's fascinating. You know, obviously the 49ers play the Eagles on Sunday. Who could out quarterback win the other? Oh, my God. I've got Bill Barnwell, like his head's exploding without even hearing this yet. Got Mina Kimes ready to throw down when I say this stuff. But I do. I'm a little old school football in that. Like the quarterback's got the ball in his hands. The game's in play. Do you make the plays to win it or you make the plays to lose it? Purdy's been making plays to win these games. Again, I'm not saying he's more valuable, though it might be close to there. Uh, and some of this is coaching. Some of this is weapons. Some of this, there's all these things. But, man, you put Herbert in that fourth quarter in Seattle, I don't know that he makes that throw. I mean, he can. We know he's physically able to. But – God, I just there's something about a quarterback who can make that throw in, you know, not a great environment when he absolutely has to, when everybody's counting on him to do it, when Kyle Shannon does not want him to throw, he wants to throw the short pass and he throws. There's something there. Um, and I mean, Purdy's going to be a $40 million quarterback at some point. I'm very, very little doubt about that. That's just the way it goes. But I think he's got something there. And although, you know, it's interesting when you, you talk about Herbert, it does remind me of young Stafford with the Lions. Like, right, the same throws a lot. You talk to defensive players. It's like Stafford was, the, I remember Richard Sherman couldn't, it's like, this guy could just spin the ball. Like, there's nobody who can spin the ball like him. Herbert, I can't, there's nobody with a better arm in the NFL. No, He's got better arm than Mahomes. He's got better arm than anybody. Maybe he's going to, you know, have to bang around a little bit and find the right place, right moment, and win a championship. Certainly, he's got the skill to do it, but might not be, and certainly not right now. And I think Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator. I don't, you know, they, they've got some weapons. They always seem to get hurt. 
it's the other thing. Chargers guys always get hurt. Everybody gets hurt except for Herbert there. Um, it's just a weird sensibility there. But, God, you know what? Right today and right now, I'm going to get a lot of people mad at me. Call me a home or whatever. I think I'd, I'd rather, if I'm the foreigner, I'd rather have Purdy. Right now, I'd rather have Purdy. Just seems to fit the Shanahan thing. And maybe Herbert just has got to find the place where he really fits the offensive mindset and has a better defense too. That helps too, by the way, has a better defense. I'm going to say it right here. I think Purdy's top six quarterback and he's over Herbert, maybe right right there with Herbert at least. Yeah. You know, the one thing about Herbert, um, you know, not to, you know, because I don't want to completely be negative here is that I do think, right. I mean, he, he wasn't the injury tent, you know, comes right back out, has that 50 yard, whatever run. That was an amazing run. I mean, he does stuff like that, too. His incredible right. army does stuff like that, too. Yeah. You know, and I do think that as like, I think he is cognizant of the fact that he kind of has to be the leader on this team. Right. And because when he, you know, when he first showed up, he was kind of very quiet, kind of more the, you know, lead by example type guy. And I think he kind of started to recognize, OK, that's not enough, you know, and I think within kind of the confines of his personality, I do think he's tried to be more vocal. He has, you know, shown more emotion out on the field. So this could also be like a work in progress type of situation, right? Like you said, you know, the character develops and then maybe it's about finding kind of the right fit, you know? Um, Cause yeah, heard, like, he's not the biggest personality. That's what I've heard in a long time. He's kind of a little bit, you know, into, you know, introspective. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, definitely. You know, he's a smarter guy. He did well in school. I'm guessing he's, Right. Probably internalizes like a lot of stuff, Um, you know, and again, you know, whenever, right, you know, the portions of practice that we're allowed to watch, he's always like the last guy out there. Um, You know, I hear he's like the first guy in. So I do think that that kind of stuff does matter in terms of kind of setting like a tone for the place. Uh, That said, right, I do think they need him to be more vocal. And I do think that that is something from what I've heard is something that he's been working on. So there's at least a self-awareness in that regard. I do think he's somebody that will be you know, that doesn't, isn't afraid to like look in the mirror, you know? So I don't think that, you know, the Herbert that we see now will necessarily be the guy that we see for the rest of his career. Right. And maybe at some point it's, he's, maybe he's going to be one of those guys who kind of, it unlocks for, you know, midway through second half of his career. You never know, you know, just because again, like you mentioned, the physical talent, is just so overwhelming. Um, even when you just right, and you know, as big as NFL guys are, you're just kind of out on the practice field and you're just kind of like, Who's that guy? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, right after they draft, you know, I just remember thinking, well, who's that guy? And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's their first round pick. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, oh, was... You see you throw, see him throw in practice. I with the, Those dual practices I've mentioned, I think, a couple of years ago. It's just like, what? That ball is just coming out differently. It's what I thought against when I watched Stafford in practice when they came, they practiced with the Raiders in Napa, you know, like six years ago. It's like, that ball just comes out differently. You know, that's with Derek Carr, who's not a terrible thrower. And Stafford's ball looked different. And, you know, obviously comparing Justin Herbert to Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance, it was not even like this is a whole other entity out there. Uh, so, yeah, the, he's young. It's just so is Brock Purdy. And yeah. it's a really just, you know, just a comparison in, in what physical tools, whatever you want to call it, draft status, all these, th- you know, contract at this point. I, I, I like what Brock Purdy's doing. Again, he's going to have a clunkers or two, could have one against the Eagles. But it's fascinating. You know, he's going back to place where he got hurt in the NFC Championship game. The defensive line's a real thing. Uh, very, very interesting to me. Um, so I want to stick on football here and just go. I am always fascinated in L.A. football. It's just something I, I, I've 
was around, never covered, but I was around. Chip Kelly, UCLA, beats SC. Rumors that he's going to go out. No, he beats SC. Okay, maybe he's fine. <laughs> loses to UCLA. Then loses, gets dumped by Cal. You think Chip Kelly, is there a chance he gets fired there? Yeah, I don't know. Just because of, right, this is kind of like if you were to ask me the Brandon Staley question, right? Um, my guess is Staley survives the season just because of who owns the team. And, you know, you kind of like look at UCLA now. I do wonder just kind of where they are financially, right? I mean, they had to, you know, this is an athletic department that's operating in the red. And sure, that Big Ten money is going to, you know, come in and maybe ease that a little bit. But I don't think, I'm not sure this is a school that's in a position really to, you know, uh, just kind of burn $8 million to pay a guy to just walk away. Um, you know, I think, because it doesn't, you know, even Chip Kelly's first season, um, the attendance at the Rose Bowl went down, right? So in terms of kind of the greater goal of just kind of generating buzz, uh, it just kind of hasn't happened, you know? And, you know, uh, again, right, I went to UCLA and, you know, again, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, we're, right, people my age are probably the, uh, you know, target demographic in some ways for these things. And, you know, the kids that I get, the people that I went to college with, I, I don't know any who go to games, you know. Um, now, it could just be, right, the priorities of, right, the, you know, again, the the student body at that time. I don't think going to football games is really a thing. Obviously, you know, the field being off campus doesn't help at all. People just weren't used to, uh, you know, going to games and stuff. And so, um, you know, that said, uh, you know, if, if right, just the hiring of Chip Kelly, because that did feel like a big moment, by the way, right? Yeah. It was kind of like the first time they got into, okay, we're going to play big boy football, you know, and they're, right, they're paying the guy three to $4 million or something, which for UCLA was a lot. Uh, and that kind of didn't really move the needle, right? As much as there was this feeling of like, hey, it's kind of this new era for UCLA football, it didn't ultimately move the needle. So, you know, the question becomes, unless there's like somebody out there who they're sure is going to kind of move the needle or at least I like guarantee wins. Um, you know, I'm not really sure they're, they're going to make that move just because I mean, the worst thing for, if you're the athletic director now, right. Cause he's going to be next. Right. And mm -hmm. obviously, you know, this, you know, sports is all about uh, sports management, sports administration. It's kind of a, the cover your butt game, you know, and right. The ax falls on chip Kelly. Well, the AD is next. And so, you know, part of me kind of feels he's going to keep the guy around, um, you know, but yeah, it's definitely not, as you're kind of looking at UCLA in the future, it's like definitely not like an inspiring picture for sure. It almost feels like if there's a better job out there, Chip might be smart to take it. I don't know that there is, uh, but like say, you know, not this is going to happen, but Dan Lanning gets hired away from Oregon. You know, maybe they go back to Chip and there's that's a better job for him. It was interesting. Didn't he take UCLA over Florida? I think it wasn't like Florida was interested in yeah. him. Yeah. And he said, yeah. no, I want to go. He's like, I think he likes the Southern California. He likes California. He's a Northeastern guy, but I think he liked the situation. Maybe he liked the less pressure too, by the way. Right. And, yeah. You know, Which is kind of funny because he's kind of got like the one bulldog peak guy. I think that we still have left in our paper <laughs> and Ben Bolt. So he, he and Ben go at it pretty good, you know, and good, it's uh, right. I think, uh, you know, the videos that I've seen of their, their scrums and stuff, I found to be pretty, you know, entertaining. Right. Chip, it's a little, Chip can be it's a little old school. Chip can yeah. be direct. Very Northeastern. Yeah. Very Northeastern. I, so where is like Cal and like Stanford? <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. in terms right. of, you know, I don't even know where they are anymore, what the conference they're in. It's sad. 
I grew up as a, I love college football, grew up following Stanford and Cal, thinking I was going to go to Cal, used to write about Stanford and Cal football, used to write about Stanford and Cal basketball, used to write about Stanford women's basketball. It just, I think the Bay Area is like an extreme version of the entire United States or North America where everything's kind of telescoped to the NFL, NBA, and maybe a little bit of baseball and nothing else. In the South, in the Midwest, college football obviously is gigantic. And in LAFC is still huge. But in the Bay Area, those schools just kind of, you know, Stanford was pretty good, really good for a while. You know, Andrew Luck, Christian McCaffrey, the kind of beginning and middle of David Shaw era. Cal was really interesting when Jeff Teffer was going, Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch. I just think that it just it, it just kind of faded away over time. And as I've written, I've, I've gotten a lot of Cal fans mad at me, but it's like it, it isn't about what you think or isn't about actually the play on the field. It's what other people value you. It's what TV market you bring in. It's what the networks think. And they clearly decided Cal and Stanford were not that important. I would have thought that SC and UCLA would have wanted to stick with them just to have that count. Like instead of having eight trips, whatever the hell many trips, you know, to the Midwest are going to make or to Penn state or to Maryland or Rutgers, like you get that, you get those games in automatically, but they did not care for that apparently, or the big 10 was not interested in that. And it just hit this moment when Cal and Stanford were down, they're both down both basketball and football. Like, I don't think basketball would have saved them, but men's basketball are with both sides are way down. The, the Stanford women's team remains a very dynamic situation, but you just don't align conferences for women's basketball. You just don't. Maybe you should. It just has gone away. I haven't covered, no, I haven't covered a Stanford game or a Cal game. I can't even remember. Maybe Andrew Luck. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just not, nobody asks about it. Nobody cares. It just kind of, it's just extreme now where it just doesn't matter what I'm going to not cover a 49er moment and go to Cal can't do it. Can't do it. So, and that's just, I think it's just that I'm not saying I'm representative of anything beyond myself, but I have a pretty good sense of what's interesting in the Bay area, what moves the Bay area. And it's just disappeared. College football's disappeared from the, the landscape. So is hockey, by the way. Uh, and so is the ace. Like I just like, there's a, I used to go cover Cal basketball. Never, no, no chance of that happening. Stanford football, no chance of that. I just don't do it anymore. Uh, and I think that's just kind of representative of the interest level in the Bay Area, which happened when the Pac-12 breaks up. I do believe that if Cal and Stanford were major teams, if Harbaugh, you know, the Harbaugh era of Stanford and the Tefford era, Cal, they would not have lost the Pac-12 like that. That was such a big part of UCLA and SC going, we don't need those teams, which was a surprise to me. I, I think everybody was surprised, but you get it, you know, like, well, let's, let's go get $70 million a year eventually in the Big Ten and not scrape by it. You know, what, what would have the Pac-12 gotten if UCLA and SC had stayed, like 35, 38? So they're kind of doubling their their money at a time when the Bay Area market just didn't matter. It just happened at a very bad time. Again, Cal fans get really mad when I say that. They keep saying, the Big Ten decided it's not me. And they didn't want Cal and Stanford. Clearly did not want. They want Oregon and Washington after SC and UCLA. You understand that. But I miss it. I love college football. I love, I mean, but also kind of like I just, 
follow it now is somebody just watching from afar, not from somebody in it. When Harbaugh was at Stanford, like that was like we covered them almost. They didn't get huge. Even with Harbaugh, they didn't get not huge crowds at, Har- at Stanford. They're just not going to. But it was really interesting. It was stuff, you know, Harbaugh coaching Andrew Luck. It was like with Vic Fangio as a defense coordinator. I mean, that was like real, real stuff. Just not, it's just gone away. And I, it's, it's obviously gone away. It's not coming back. I kind of miss it. But the NFL and NBA are so big now, Dylan. They're just so big. The Warriors happened and kind of blotted out a lot of things. The 49ers are always big. And that's what I do. And again, I'm kind of nostalgic for it, but I ain't going back to it. It's like, I'm not going to cover sharks now. I'm just not. It's like 49ers, Warriors, some giants and A's move. (laughs) And then that's what I'm writing about. And nobody's complaining about it. Like no, there's, that's where the readership is. Is that my Purdy column? I mentioned it on social media, right? You know, deadline column off of that Thursday night game. Thanksgiving is either the first or the second most read column I've ever written for the athletic. You know, and again, it wasn't the most thing I had. I could, I didn't have a lot of time for it. I just kind of put some things and asking Purdy and Shanahan some real specific questions. And Ayuk got that all in. You know, I believe in the, the you know, get it in as quickly as you can because people want to read it. And I think just took off. Uh, you think I could do that for a Stanford football piece? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't happen. I mean, if there's a great story, I should do it, but that's not where the world is right now. I don't know. You, you, you're a Bay. You were up in the Bay area. You cover some college or stuff. You think people miss it? Do you think is it, you know, is that a, a loss? What kind of loss is it that none of that, none of the sports matter that much in the Bay area, maybe St. Mary's basketball. And that's even, that's not much. Yeah. Cause I think that every, I don't know, kind of every kind of scene, so to speak, right. has its own little like bubble, its own little world, you know, and again, when I was at UCLA, you know, the Daily Bruin, we used to travel on the road, right, with the basketball team and stuff. And so, yeah, I remember being at Maples. I remember being at Haas, you know, with those, right, really kind of intense environments. And that just doesn't, I mean, honestly, even at UCLA, is, is you know, as much as they've turned things around with Mick Cronin, um, it's not quite back even to like that, like Lavin era, hmm. right? The, the crowds are a little bit more, you know, um, it, it, yeah, it's 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 kind of like a weird thing, you know. I, I don't. I think again, I just um, you know, in LA in the Bay Area, maybe they have these things in common where, right? Because there's like so much kind of going on in these things. Unless you're kind of one of these like trans, you know, teams that kind of transcend all of these kind of boundaries that exist within these very kind of complicated regions, uh, you kind of end up with a very very small piece of the pie. You know, on one hand, you could say. You know, uh, I remember, you know, just kind of using the charges as an example. Uh, first day of training camp, right? The first year here, you know, I think they had like 5,000 people out there or something to watch this, you know, practice. And, you know, you look at that and you're like, okay, um, that's why they moved here, right? Is that, you know, um, you know, 0.01% of LA is still better than X percent of San Diego. Uh, but what you kind of lose in this type of market is kind of that, that thing that everybody knows what's going on, right? You have Charger fans and, you know, people who aren't Charger fans and the non-Charger fans just really kind of outweigh everybody else. And, you know, like you never see two Charger, like more than one Charger fan at a time. You know, I might see one person wearing a Charger hat or a Charger shirt at the market or something, but I never see like two, you know? And I think, so from that standpoint, yeah, like, I mean, I miss all that, right? I mean, I, you know, I covered when I was at the Merck, I covered basketball like at Santa Clara, you know, when, when Adam Morrison came in with uh, Gonzaga, right? And the way they got on him and stuff. And 
So you're kind of like losing a lot of those types of like moments, I think. And, I, and that to me is kind of unfortunate. But like you said, it's just kind of the the reality of the times. And, you know, looking at UCLA, I do wonder, too. I mean, they're, they're going to basically be like West Coast Rutgers, right? Yeah, it is going to be mean, weird. Yeah, it's going to be know, weird. And the, the one thing that I do wonder, right, with both, you know, and I know probably our listeners don't care about this too much, but <laughs> between Cal, Stanford, and UCLA, those are three schools with like, a great tradition of like the Olympic sports, right? Great swim programs, great track and field programs, great gymnastics programs. Uh, and just like with this whole thing of these schools going into these weird conferences and all the travel involved, I do kind of wonder long-term what the effect is going to be on those programs, you know? Um, Cause I do think that those things kind of help uplift, right? I mean, ultimately, right. The, the reason schools put in right as much money into these, these things are there. It's a great recruiting tool, just even just for like general students, right? Is yep. that it, it increases the prestige of the place. And I do kind of wonder over time if that might erode also that if, right in, in that in chasing the football dollar, if it's going to kind of erode all the other stuff. And, you know, and again, if they are not successful in football, which you kind of have to be right now, does the whole thing kind of go down? Yeah, I, I've said this again, it might be a long ways. And we let's not go too much further because people do not love hearing this, but. I think at some point the Big Ten might just open up a West Coast wing. Just take Cal and Stanford, maybe at a lesser cost. Oregon, Washington, Cal, Stanford, UCLA, SC, maybe Washington State, and you know just reformulate the dang thing. I mean Arizona, Arizona State, you know Colorado, Utah, maybe they stay in the Big Twelve, but just do a West Coast wing of the Big Ten and have them play each other and have them play you know randomly play other Big Ten teams. Just makes more sense. They they fit together, and that way you can keep the Olympic sports going. You play those, you know, you play those. You keep the Olympic sports completely to the West Coast. Um, that's how I would think would make the most sense. I've, I've said this for like two years. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. The football just kind of you know overwhelms everything. But I think if they, this clearly was not done long range thinking. It was it was it was done in a panic, right? It was done. Oh my God! Today we think we're going to do this, but tomorrow we're going to do this, and oh my God, we're going to get left behind. The other stuff was not thought out. It just wasn't. It still isn't all the way thought out. If they could have had more time, they could have figured it out. They could have known that the Pac-12 football is still going to be pretty good. They could have fashioned something else in a larger sense to keep all those teams together and maybe join them as ad hoc members of the Big Ten or ad hoc members of something else and just stay together because they're they're stronger together than they all are apart. Maybe not SC. That's the one. But the others, I think they are. So but let's get off this topic. Let's get off to a sure winner. I, I, I got a sure winner here. Sure A's winner. relocation, which I think consider almost partly an L.A. thing, too, because Vegas is so close to L.A. We know how many L.A. fans go to Raiders games. Tons like that. That highway is just full of L.A. people going to those games and back. Your colleague, Bill Shaken, has done an amazing job covering it. He is really good on this stuff. You know, I, that's another team I've kind of just kind of wiped my hands of. I have not gone to a cover an A's game in at least two years, probably three, maybe four. Um, if John Fisher says he doesn't want to win, I don't necessarily feel like I have to cover it. I write about the relocation stuff. But as someone who's been in the Bay Area, someone who knows Coliseum, someone who knows the A's, you're in L.A. kind of watching from the floor. You know the Dodgers so well and the Angels. What do you think about the A's in Vegas? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I guess I don't like it just because John Fisher is still going to be involved. 
you know, I mean, his soccer team sucks. <laughs> yeah. And the stadium is out. That used to be the big thing. Is I, the stadium. I saw that. Like that, that's <laughs> such a ridiculous argument, by the way. You know, their huh. MLS teams look like, yeah, much worse, whatever. And, you know, so from that standpoint, right, it's kind of, do you trust the people in charge? I don't, you know, I think it's too bad just in that, right. And just like with baseball in general, I mean, the one thing the sport always kind of has going for it is kind of the tradition and stuff. Right. And I think for like a lot of people, you think of the Oakland A's, you do think of those bash brother, Tony LaRusso teams. Right. And then even, you know, people that go further back, think of those powerhouse teams in the seventies and that's just kind of like gone now. Right. And it's going to be replaced by, you know, and I know they have like the humidor stuff now to kind of control the things, but I'm guessing the ball is going to be flying in that place just because you know, if they ever build the dang thing. Yeah, I mean, right. You know, that's yeah. up for grabs. Yeah. You know, and so I think it's just kind of too bad just because I remember the last time I believe the A's were in the playoffs when they had uh, I think it was Cespedes was around. Yeah, um, they made it. They made it after yeah. him, but they yeah. lost. Yeah. Yeah. I was out there for that. I can't remember why. I don't even know. I can't remember who they were playing. But uh, I just remember the atmosphere just kind of being different, right? There's a different feel to that. And so just kind of like losing that and just kind of knowing, you know, I did kind of like, you know, when I was up in the Bay Area, the whole Giants, A's thing, I think, that's, right? It's, you know, especially the way geographically, the way the Bay Area is set up, I think it made sense to kind of have an East Bay team. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just... Uh, yeah, they just couldn't get it done, I guess, over there, right? I mean, I assume this has a lot has to fall on John Fisher. I mean, it wasn't I, just Oakland that he's messed it up with. That's the point. Like, there's yeah. been various sites in Oakland, but it's been Fremont, it's been San Jose. You can blame the Giants for keeping territorial rights there, but how? Why did he waste so long on that site when it was clear it was? I mean, uh, for five years it was clear it was to ten years it was clear it was not going to happen. The MLB was not going to rescind that territorial rights of the Giants. You can argue. The logic of it, the ethics of it, they weren't going to do it. And I understood it. Like, they're, they're not giving up San Jose. It's a great market for them. They're not giving up the peninsula. That's a great market for them. That's the market for them. If you really if you really want to look at that, a lot, little bit of money in uh, in the peninsula, Silicon Valley. Uh, the, why would they give that up if they had the right to it? I never understood that. Uh, and it was a waste of time. It was a waste of money. It was a waste of everything. I, I think, you know, I, odds are they're going to get it done in – Las Vegas, they have the relocation vote. But I, my point was, I don't think that was even a big deal. That was always going to happen. If he wanted to go to Las Vegas, they had the public money, they were going to approve it. Now, can he get it done? And I don't know that he can get it done. He had approval to build wherever he wanted in the Bay Area, wherever he wanted. He tried four different things. Did None of them worked. Why, why is this one going to work? Other than more access to, to public money, some casino money. But man, I don't think that site's great. And it's going to be super hot and they're going to so it's 2028 at the earliest. Like if the team, if the Las Vegas isn't excited about them now, what's it going to be like after four more crappy years, five more crappy years, six more crappy years. I just, I, I bet against John Fisher. I just do. You want to go to Vegas and put the money on a roulette wheel. I'll bet. I'll bet on not John Fisher. That's what I'll bet on. So what do you think happens then eventually? <laughs> I think they sit the same thing. It's like, it's going to be very similar to the last, 20 years is like, what are you going to do? I think, I think it's going to be here. I think it's going to be Howard Terminal. I think it's going to be the new Coliseum. I think it's going to be Fremont. I think it's going to be San Jose. I think it's going to be Las Vegas. I think they might move the site. Then they'd have to get a new vote in Las Vegas. And believe me, the way this, you know, they jimmied that last one, they'll, they'll get a vote. Right, right, I mean, they get whatever they want in Las Vegas. Those, that, that, those hearings were a joke. 
There's no plan. Like there's no construction plan. There's no financing plan. Maybe there's whispers of what it could be, what it might be. They voted at $380 million without knowing if you could actually do it with a retractable roof that most people say cannot fit on that nine acre space. I think that might have to change the site. So that's going to delay it again. I think it's going to be this internal John Fisher limbo, which has not, you know, it's not new. It's very old. And until, unless that moment comes where he says, you know what, I'm just going to pay an extra $600 million to get this done. Because that's what it does take, right? That's what freaking, uh, you know, whatchamacallit in LA did for SoFi. It's like, I'm going to pay this thing. This is going to happen. That's what Joe Lacob did for the Warriors Arena Chase Center. That's essentially what uh, uh, Jed York did for Santa Clara. Essentially, you know, the numbers vary. But you just have to accept something. I am building this freaking thing. John Fisher has never said that. And I don't know that he'll say it this time. And I think the complications are even more. Like, where are they going to play, by the way? They're probably going to play the Coliseum. I think, I mean, they're going to play the Coliseum or they're going to play at Oracle Park, which I think would be a joke, but I don't think they can play in, in Vegas at the AAA stadium. It's going to be too hot. The, the lock, you know, you're going to put the Yankees through there. The Yankees are going to be loving that, you know, opposing clubhouse that's meant for minor leaguers in 105 degree weather. There's talk like they could play it like half and half. Like, what is this? Like, wh- what are we talking about here? So I'm still betting on no, just because I'm betting against John Fisher. Maybe I'm wrong to do that, but if it's 75% yes, 25% no, but the 25% is anti-John Fisher, I'm going to take the anti-John Fisher. You know, it's going to be interesting too, right? The way they finance the uh, the Raiders stadium, right? Yeah. Where there was like a casino tax involved there. and Rent a car right? tax. So, you know, yeah, as soon as occupancy yeah. went yeah. down, all of a sudden they're kind of yep. scrambling, okay, how are we going to make these payments? Yep. So I do think that all that's going to complicate things. Okay, so if you're betting against John Fisher, do you think they wind up staying in the Bay? I think it's going to be a question. I think it's going to be a question. Yeah, I think there's going to be another period where you're not sure what's going to happen. Where They've said, oh, it's going to be the Coliseum. They've said these things, and it hasn't changed the dynamic because they can't get it done. So I think it's going to be another period where we don't know. They're going to, they might even announce a financing plan. They might announce a construction plan. They might throw out renderings. I'm still not going to believe it because I didn't believe it in the others till they get that thing shovel in the ground and that thing is happening. I think we're two years away from that, maybe two years of not knowing. I think there's a chance that John Fisher throws up his hands and say, I can't do it, but maybe he's not there yet. Maybe getting the approval in Vegas makes him more stubborn about it, but I don't think he can do it. And there's people I know who don't think he can do it. He's gone farther down the road, maybe than. You would have thought for somebody who's so bumbling, but that's Vegas, right? I mean, Mark Davis is not Mr. Altogether either. And he got the freaking $500 million to build a stadium. And that has been a success. The A's in 2028, that's the early call. 2028 could be later. That's if everything goes right. There's a lot of room for something to go wrong. And with John Fisher, it usually does. So I'm just going to say it's because they're going to be in limbo. And either someone's going to have to come in heavy in Vegas and make it happen, who's not John Fisher, or someone's going to come in heavy in the Bay Area and say, I can make it done and make this. This Howard Terminal deal actually is pretty good. I've heard from all independent sources, it's not a great deal, but it's Oakland. What do you expect? It's a pretty good deal. It's about as far as it could possibly go and probably a little farther than most people thought Oakland would go. If you believe in the product, which I'm not sure John Fisher ever does. I just don't think he believes in the product. 
I don't think he believes that this really could sell out. This really could get people to move here. This could, I don't think in his heart of hearts, he really believed that COVID happened in the middle of this. So I'm not going to, you know, the, the giants have their own issues, obviously with attendance post COVID and downtown being a little more desolate, but I just think we're going to have like six years of limbo still, maybe four years of limbo where we don't know. And it won't, it will feel very similar to what we felt last 15 years. Good fun yeah. for everybody. Something yeah, to look forward to. That's why yeah, I'm tired. I call the most boring, most boring story in sports. And I still think it's the most boring story in sports. And I, I know there are people in my place that wish I had written the day of the relocation vote. And I still think, it's boring. It's like it was going to happen. They signaled this for a long time. It still doesn't mean he's getting it done. It just means that the owners are supporting. Of course, the owners are supporting another owner. When's the last time a, a ownership did not support another owner? They always do. Maybe behind the scenes, they're like, oh, we're tired of this. We just want to get done. But they're going to support John Fisher because they want to, you know what? They want their own freaking shaky deals, right? They want their own money grabs. So they're not going to block him from getting 380 approved in in, in Nevada. No chance. Wonderful. Speaking of to a different type of building, where, where's our buddy Farhan Zaidi? <laughs> he's <laughs> the he's hunkered like, down. Hunkered down. Do you see that? There supposedly was a Shohei sighting. I saw I, that. I, I love that. I yeah, love like, that. Guys, I don't think that's he's walking around by himself in, in San Francisco. But just my guess. He would not be walking around by himself. Uh, but kind of look uh, like him. He kind of like because he walks with very good posture. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? Uh, I think they're hunkered down. I've tried to get a hold of Farhan, and and he's he's promised he's going to be on the podcast, but apparently will not be real soon. All good. I think they're really under some amount of pressure to get somebody big. I mean, every year, but this is really that year. They've got some money to do it. I think they're hunkered down and, you know, and we know like show if there's news comes out about Shohei, he's going to not go to that team. Like if anybody reports folks, he's talking to the Dodgers. Looks like it's close. I would think he's going to get pissed off. He just does not want that. I mean, I'm not saying he, he, he automatically say no to that team, but he would not like that. Uh, so I think everybody's hunkered down. And I think Farhan is absolutely hunkered down and they're trying to bang out something who, who it's going to be for. I don't know, but I think there's a you know there's three hundred to five hundred million dollars on the table for somebody. You know, if it's five hundred, it's Shohei. We'll see if he'll take it. We'll see if Yamamoto will take it. You're a Yamamoto guy. I don't know. It looks, seems a little small to me, but yeah, me too. You know, I guess I think, he was was he good in WBC? I can't even remember. He was okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, he reminds me a little bit of uh, right, and people kind of scoff when I say this, but Kenta Maeda. Right. It was um, pretty good. I mean, I think people forget how good Kenta Maeda was in Japan. I mean, Kenta yeah. Maeda was a, you know, he won like Yamamoto multi Sawamura awards. That's their equivalent of the Cy Young. It's just every Japanese pitcher that I've talked to when they come over here, there are a couple things that they talk about, right? One is the size of the ball. It's harder to grip. You need bigger hands. And two is just the pitching every five days thing. Yeah. They're used to pitching once a week. You know, now I have talked to some executives who, you know, say, hey, if you're going to invest $200 million in a Japanese pitcher, you might as well go to a six-man rotation at that point, right? Or a seven-man rotation even. Um, you know, and Farhan does seem to be the type of guy that, right, has a type of flexibility, I think. Um, you know, but yeah, I'm not sure he's quite a, I mean, it's just the cost of pitching right now, right? I mean, just there are not many guys that can even give you, that you can count on to give six innings right now, so... Just the fact that he's one of those guys, he's going to cost a lot. And then you kind of get into, 
you know, uh, you know, right. I mean, he's already thrown like a ton of pitches in Japan. Uh, you're never quite sure with Japanese pitchers again, not just how they're going to, you know, withstand the schedule, but also how right the damage already done to their shoulders and their elbows. So uh, I would be a little bit cautious there. You know, I think the next real guy coming over is again, Roki Sasaki, the uh, 21, 22 year old kid who was in the WBC. He sits at a hundred, mm-hmm. you know, talent wise, he's probably the closest that we're going to see to Otani, but he probably won't be here for a few more years. So. Yeah, I just like, hey, I saw Lince come, so I shouldn't be this negative. And my favorite pitcher of all times, Greg Maddox, second favorite of all times, Pedro Martinez. So what am I saying about smaller right-handed pitchers? But usually the bet is not for the smaller right-handed pitcher. Usually the bet is for the tall right-handed, tall lefty. Um, they just better angles. But maybe this guy's great. I just don't remember like watching the WBC and go, man, that guy. Like, you, Othani, you go, yeah, that that that's the guy. Obviously, he was already in the majors, but um I, I don't know i uh they got money burned in their pocket so it might be it's going to be somebody i don't know if it's going to be snell i would not lean towards snell myself i just think he's a guy who he's just not an innings guy right. uh, although you line him up with webb you know who is an innings guy and you hope for something out of harrison and you hope you got other guys there but might be some other guys i thought sonny gray would have looked really good on them but he, he just signed with the cardinals um they they got you know an interesting part for pitchers like if you're a home run fly ball pitcher Oracle's a place for you. Um, I don't know. That's just going to be somebody. They got to be. Got to get a pitcher and a hitter. I think absolutely. I'm not sure what level. What are the Dodgers going to do, Dylan? I think it's going to be kind of more of the same. You know, if, I think it's one thing if they get Otani, obviously because there's a marketing angle there that that would probably you know convince the owners. Okay, this guy's okay to spend on, but. Again, if you look at the Dodgers, just kind of their, you know, recent history, it's they make deals on their terms, right? Even Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, which are kind of their two big ones. Uh, you know, the Red Sox are basically giving away bets for free. And then when he did eventually sign that extension, you know, I mean, he's going to be collecting checks until he's dead. Like a lot of that money's deferred. Right. And Freddie Freeman, that market kind of collapsed. So they felt good about these deals and kind of. You know, it's funny because years ago, Andrew Friedman said something along the lines of if you're rational with every free agent, you're going to finish third in the bidding every time. And despite him saying that, he seems to kind of not be able to be irrational. Right. At any point. And I'm just looking at that Aaron Nola deal. You know, I think he got 175, um, which means Yamamoto is going to be close to 200. I just can't see that happening. You know, uh, Jorge Castillo, my colleague, wrote about their interest in in that Roki Sasaki kid. Mm. And now I think that one of the reasons they would have been interested in him is because he's under 25 years old. And if he were to get posted early, he'd be here. He'd come under the same restrictions that Otani came here under. So he would be really, really cheap, you know, and you're basically getting a top five pitcher in the world, arguably, for the minimum salary. So sure, they'd be up for something like that. But my guess is they're going to it's going to be a bunch of reclamation projects again, you know, guys that maybe used to be good and maybe we could squeeze a little more out of this guy. And, you know, they'll go into spring training with probably 10 names. Uh, that could be potential guys in the rotation. You know, a bunch of them will get hurt. They'll see who's left standing at the end. Um, and, Is Urias you know, out? Is he gone? I would imagine, yeah. I mean, they they move very quickly to kind of be – I've never seen actually a team move that quickly to erase somebody hmm. from – I mean, they took him out of the – you go to Dodger Stadium and you see the, you know, the highlight package that you put on the video scoreboard. That was like the opening scene was – Urias getting that final out, mm-hmm. um, you know, that World Series. And that was immediately gone. The mural's gone. 
Uh, he's just kind of been erased. So I just can't imagine at this point, um, you know, him coming back regardless of what happens. And I think even even before any of this happened, by the way, you know, they do seem to have a Scott Borisitis, hmm. um, you know, where I think, you know, Stan Kasten, the team president, is very anti-agent, uh, you know. And again, I think that, again, it's the, the value that they put on winning every single deal. Right. I do think makes them kind of reluctant to kind of deal with Boris. I mean, they, the you know, the kind of the most high profile dealings they had with Boris were over Bryce Harper. And even that was kind of more, hey, in case your market collapses, here's a three year deal. Right. With a really high AV that might like work out for you. But it wasn't like a real, real negotiation, I feel. Right. And so so far, they've kind of steered clear like the Boris thing. So even before any of this, I was expecting him to end up in somewhere like Arizona, maybe. Right. Where they had a young core, um, you know, and like maybe some money to spend and they kind of needed a start. It's a Mexican heavy market. But now at this point, man, I'd be I'd be surprised, you know, just um, if he winds up pitching here again. Right. Or maybe I don't know. Again, we don't know what's on the videotape, whatever yeah. I've heard, yeah. you know, but maybe he ends up pitching in Mexico. There was a team right down there where they had a bunch of former oh, yeah. criminals yeah, and stuff yeah, and yeah. Well, that Oregon State kid was down there Mickey right. Calloway managed yeah. for them at some point yeah. you know so um, uh, there is a place somewhere in the world for him I'm just not sure it's in Major League Baseball all right we've talked plenty uh our now favorite segment I've heard people say they liked it I can't believe it I just kind of came up with it but we got to and it somehow put a bow on this Bay Area Los Angeles who won the week Dylan who won the week it's got to be, I mean, the Niners won, Cal beat UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> so I, Cal wins it. The Cal football program <laughs> comes in. I, I would love to say LA, Dylan, but like, I don't even know what the hell's going on with LA. I guess Clippers won a couple of games. Who knows? I don't, I LeBron, can't LeBron has continued to look. Yeah. I mean, if anything, LeBron, I thought in Cleveland just looked. Yeah. Even he's, kind he's of gonna, next yeah, he's going to do it there. That's where he's going to do it. Yeah. But. No, I, I got to go. Bay Area won this week, won it easily. And the 49ers looking like, you know, they're once again a Super Bowl contender, maybe right up there. We'll see it happens Sunday. We'll see we'll see what we say after Sunday's game in Philly. But the Bay Area won the week consensus. I feel Bay Area's got to feel good about Dylan Hernandez is just toting the uh, Bay Area, you know, uh, banner here. You're raising the banner for the Bay Area. You're still a Bay Arean at heart. Always good. I don't know. I need. I might need to hear some more. I got to start supporting LA harder, but can't do it this time. The Chip Kelly tank job might, might have to uh, be be the. Yeah, if anything, we're, we're we're just assembling lists of who's going to get fired and in what order. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even and, touch Lincoln Riley. We didn't touch Lincoln Riley. Yeah, that's right. We interview with the the Athletic about he's not going to the NFL. Maybe there's no NFL job for him anyway. We'll see how he does. But we're talking too much stuff. This is all good. Let's stop it here. Meant much more to discuss. We'll probably do it again next week. I want to let's get the momentum going for the uh, for all things. And I'll say it this time: CLA Times, Dylan Hernandez. Good to have as a co-host. I don't even say where I'm from. Nobody cares. I'm me. I'm. That's uh, all. I'm good. I'm not associated with anybody. I'm out in the free world, rocking the free world, as Dylan says many many years ago. Uh, that's it for me, Dylan. Say goodbye. Bye, everybody. All right, thanks. That's show for day. <laughs>